Hi, I'm Louisa Burwood-Taylor, and this is AgFunder, a podcast about the entrepreneurs revolutionizing the food and agriculture industry and the investors behind them. And today's podcast, I speak to Sam Cass, a partner at Acre Venture Partners, which is a venture capital fund focused on transforming the food system. Sam has had a varied past, starting out his career as a chef and moving to work at the White House for several years under the Obama administration. He worked closely with Barack Obama on nutrition policy and with Michelle Obama on her Let's Move campaign. I'm speaking today to Sam about this transition through these various different roles, which food and agriculture technologies he thinks are truly transformative, and we dig a little bit into some of Acre Ventures' investments. It was really great speaking to Sam, and I hope that you enjoy our conversation. So I'm very excited today to welcome Sam Cass onto the podcast. Hi, Sam. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Excellent. Well, you're definitely a busy man, and I see you popping up at various events all over the world. Um, And you're actually due to speak at the Future Food Tech event here in New York in, in just a couple of weeks um, which looks like it's going to be fantastic. But you've recently got back from Milan in Italy, where you were speaking on stage with none other than President Obama, which is, of course, really exciting because Seed and Chips, the event, is focused on food and agriculture, technology and innovation. And I think it was um, Obama's first overseas speaking arrangement since yeah. he stepped down. So, you know, it's really exciting that he's engaging with our industry. So would love to hear a bit about your session with him on stage and and what you talked about and where you see him, you know, thinking about these, um, some of the technologies and innovations. Well, it was a a really exciting moment, obviously for, you know, me personally, but I think also for everybody who's uh, working in improving the, you know, our food system. Uh, And I think it was a really big deal that he, you know, stepped out in such a bold way around, around these issues. Um, and, uh, you know, I really encourage people to, to um, check out the link and watch the watch his speech and then our Q&A, um, which was all in about an hour and a half. So it was actually a lot. We covered a lot of ground. Um, That's a long time. Yeah, it was a long time. Um, but I think, you know, the president uh, really understands uh, that food and agriculture is going to have to be a central part of a solution uh, globally when we come to try to tackle climate change. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, when you, when you hear him talk, you, you get a deep understanding of both the complexities of the challenges, the, the reason why governments have been kind of slow to engage on this part of the problem, um, the hard politics uh, that, around, that, that surround any kind of country's agricultural policies, um, and also the consumer side, both the power and the challenges of, of how we can engage consumers in making some of these changes, um, and then the roles of technology and innovation in, in solving some of these challenges, and both the huge opportunities and then some of the risks we, we face there. And so I, it was, um, I think it was a real watershed moment for, the, for our issues to have somebody you know, of his stature um, weighing in like he did, um, I think it, it'll help point a lot of energy and attention um, in a direction that hopefully will produce uh, some really positive outcomes over the long term. Do you see him pursuing this topic further? Um, well, I mean, I, climate change is something that he's going to be um, 
you know, working on, I'm sure, for the rest of his life. Uh, you know, it's the greatest threat that humanity faces. Uh, he's also obviously spent a lot of his time on healthcare uh, in the United States, and you know, obviously, food and 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 health are and healthcare are, are starting to really converge. So, but I think particularly as it comes to climate change. Um, you know, climate, food and agriculture is 25% of greenhouse gas emissions currently, and uh, the trajectory is going in, in, you know, a skyward direction as opposed to energy where we're starting to see the, the curve. We can see a future where the curve is bending and coming down. We've invested a lot more resources globally around sustainable energy production, but with emerging middle classes and uh, consumption patterns changing around food and ag. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're on the rise dramatically. So, you know, by 2050, um, you know, we could be the lion's share of greenhouse gas emissions. So, um, so I think there's no way, and that's part of the point that he was making is that there's no way we're going to solve this problem unless we start addressing, what we grow, how we grow it, and what we end up consuming. Um, and that's, I think, something that I, we, we often miss. It's not just the production method, but it's also what we're actually eating as major opportunities um, to make some progress here. And on the flip side, you know, food and agriculture is going to bear the brunt of the impact of climate. Um, it's just going to be increasingly difficult to grow food um, with water scarcity, soil depletion, and volatile climates and warming climates. Um, so it's sort of a double-edged sword of, you know, our food system is, is exacerbating the problem, but then it's also going to be one of the areas that's hit hardest by, by climate. So there, we have to take this issue head on. And there's no question that emerging technology innovation is going to be absolutely critical uh, for both of those sides of the equation uh, to make progress. And that's really interesting what you were saying about sort of the trends in what um, consumers are eating and how that plays into climate change. Were you thinking specifically about consumption of meat? Or yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, livestock production, particularly beef production, is uh, you know is by far in a way the leading contributor of in, within the food and agricultural ecosystem of greenhouse gas emissions. And there's definitely improvements that we can make in terms of how we're raising beef um, uh, to bring down emissions. Um, but it's also the amount of beef that we're eating um, is a problem. Uh, like I, and I always say, and President says, you know, we both love a good steak uh, and I intend to eat steak for the rest of my life, but um, we have to eat less of it. It's just a fact. Um, and there's, uh, it's hard to imagine a sustainable food system where we're continuing to see beef consumption and meat consumption in general at the levels we are now. Now, there's some emerging potential solutions that could mitigate that, um, but it's it's it's. Uh, I think one of the easiest things we can do is to shift our consumption patterns um, in a way that are more climate smart. And I think we hear a lot about climate smart agriculture. But we're not going to have climate-smart agriculture unless we have climate-smart eating. Um, farmers aren't growing food or producing products in a vacuum. Um, they're producing people to eat, for people to eat. And I think as I do go around the world and sit in these you know, high-level conferences and talk to the various parts of the food supply chain, and it is, it is fascinating that this connection and, and these decisions are not made 
um, in a more holistic manner. So you go and talk to a bunch of the ag side. They're not thinking or talking about food <laughs> or eaters. Um, and I think part of what we have to do is shorten, um, you know, uh, the connection between what we grow and what we what we eat, make that connection, you know, more integrated. And I think we'll come up with solutions that are both better for the planet and better for farmers as well as consumers. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think in the world of um, technology, there's often, you know, some events will be ag tech events and some events will be food tech events and they're kind of separated. Um, And I have been thinking about that a lot recently and thinking that, you know, you really want to to join the dots a bit more. And there are some investors that are looking at it um, in that more holistic way. Um, such as S2G Ventures. I know they invested yep. from the farm to the fork. Is that similar to um, Acre Ventures? And so that's where you are now. And um, the sole LP is Campbell Soups. And yep. you joined at the beginning, sort of towards the beginning of last year. So can you tell us a bit about their thesis? And does that sort of fit in with that holistic view? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, so uh, at Acre, we're really focusing in, we're a mission-driven fund that's focused on changing the food system around health, transparency, and sustainability and climate change. And we believe that the companies that are founding their businesses to solve the biggest problems that we face in food uh, are going to outperform the ones that don't. Um, And, uh, you know, we have a pretty interesting model. Um, Campbell's is our LP, but we are a completely external fund. Um, We're able to uh, collaborate when it makes sense to support our companies. But um, we're, you know, independent looking for the companies that we think are going to have, you know, the biggest impact on the food system. And, you know, I just am blown away every day, the amount of innovation we're seeing, the quality of the companies that are being formed, um, and the transformational impact of some of the technologies that are being developed. I, uh, you know, I'm really excited about the future that we're able to build. And I think what's part of it's powerful is you have, you know, sort of the new creation of the future, which is then in conversation with the established food system. And unlike, unlike some technologies where, you know, you invent a better phone and then all of a sudden, like, it's just a better uh, piece of tech of hardware and technology and everything else becomes obsolete. Food's not going to work like that. Food is going to be a much more slow evolution of change where step-by-step innovation and by innovation, you know, you're going to have an evolution of of, of progress. You know, there'll be some that accelerate change, you know, faster than others. But but I think we have to, as investors, understand, you know, the complexity of the food system itself, the sensitivities of consumers. Because in the end, this is about what people are putting into their bodies. It's about their health. It's about their families. It's about their culture about how people show love. And so that's a, you know, on the, on the one hand, and then it's about, you know, farmers and their livelihoods and the environment and the implications there. So there's a lot of um, components to this system that bit by bit, as we engage and invest um, with that holistic view in mind, I think we're going to be able to, um, you know, fundamentally have a better system to hand down to our kids. Yeah, so that, you know, adoption um, and deployment challenge around technologies is, you know, a big talking point um, in the food and ag tech spheres. Um, You know, as you mentioned, you know, it's a lot about a a behavior change 
um, throughout the supply chain with all players involved, not just the farmers, but everyone in the supply chain and the consumers. How are you looking at that challenge at Acre Ventures and how do you think various parties can be incentivized to adopt technologies which ultimately um, you know, are going to be pro- providing a more sustainable food future? Yeah, well, I think... Um, I, I guess it depends on what part of the system that you know we're, we're talking about. I think there's, the approaches vary, but I think in the end, I mean, just one of the fundamental questions we have to ask ourselves is um, who benefits from these tools that are being created, and what are the outcomes? And I think if we are designing tools and solutions that help support farmers' economic viability. Um, improve their margins, uh, reduce their costs, for example, um, help them maintain the quality of their land. Um, it, it becomes less of a challenging sell um, when you're producing products that you know uh, concentrate power in the hands of a couple big, you know, companies, and the farmers are now in some ways disenfranchised from their own from their own livelihood. That's the problem. You know, on the other hand, you know, I think for consumers, part of the question that consumers should be asking and that businesses should be developing their, their technologies around is, is this going to help consumers live better? Is it going to help them solve their health challenges? I mean, right now in the United States, for example, there's 79 million pre-diabetics, 79 million. One in three of our youngest kids are on track to have diabetes in their lifetime. And, you know, obesity alone costs. 20% of our entire healthcare expenditure. Um, and food and ag, food is the number one cause of preventable death and disease in the United States, the number one cause. So if we continue to, to create food products or, or, you know, technological solutions on our phones for various things that aren't actually helping to solve that problem, you know, I think adoption is going to be slow. But if we can find innovative ways to help people live better and eat better um, and raise healthy kids, then I think adoption is not going to be anywhere near the challenge that some some might make. We're just we have to make it simple and easy and accessible for people um, to make better choices. And so that's going to mean uh, changes throughout the entire supply chain. But I guess we just have to keep asking ourselves um, who benefits here. Um, and you know we're working to make sure that. Um, the right, we have the right answer to that question in all of our investments. Mm. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about some of the, um, the investments in the Acre Ventures portfolio. Um, you know, we are, uh, we've invested across the board. Um, we really think, largely to the, you know, to what we were just talking about, that if you, if you really want to see the, the change that we need, you're going to have to um, make progress across every point in the supply chain. Um, so, uh, just a couple examples on the agriculture side. We we invested uh, in Farmers Business Network, which is just an incredible company that's helping farmers reduce their inputs um, significantly and increase their yields by using data um, uh, to help uh, you know apply you know any kind of chemicals in a much more efficient way. Uh, or reducing them dramatically, if when possible, planting the right seed at the right time in the right soil. Um, and they're just growing um, just exponentially, largely because they start with the basic premises, how can I help farmers be more successful? Um, and really 
have learned the needs of farmers and made the applications quite simple. And they've got a really interesting. Um, I think that, sorry, they've got a really interesting business model around um, helping farmers to reduce the cost of their inputs as well, and bring some sort of pricing transparency to when they're buying, um, you know, their chemicals and their fertilizers. And I think that that's a really yeah. that's a really interesting in business model when we think about you know the adoption challenges. Um, you know, they're really incentivizing, aren't they? Absolutely. Well, it's just it's just when you when you step back and look at the system, it's it's a, it's it hasn't sort of changed in you know a century. And you know when you when they analyze the the costs and um, and pricing across the country for same products, the disparities were just extraordinary. The the range of costs is just extraordinary, just because somebody may have had a lock on on a particular market, um, and that's just not. That's just not fair to farmers. Um, and so if we can bring some transparency to that, um, it's a pretty clear it's a pretty clear choice. Am I going to pay three times the value of this, or am I, do I now have access to buy these essential uh, inputs uh, at a market fair price? Um, and I think you know you can do that well. Um, you know you bring great benefit and great value to to farmers. Um, and so, you know, so I think that's the kind of those are the kind of companies that um, that we're that we're trying to invest in. So that's on the um, farm side. And what about sort of more on the on the consumer end? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, we there's lots of you know lots of different uh, examples of this. We invested in a, a food safety company, Sample Six, uh, which you know, if you look at the food safety system, you just uh, you know, I spent a lot of time working on food safety in the White House, um, and um, you know, you now start to see technologies being developed to really, I think, dramatically improve the system. Right now, you know, you know a lot of the times people aren't getting results of their tests between 48 to 72 hours after they've sent them in, which means that whatever they were producing is out the door uh, by the time they know if they got a problem. I think. In the next five to ten years, food safety will be turned on its head. Um, and Sample Six both has an, an incredibly innovative uh, food safety platform, but also uh, a food safety system, but also a uh, digital platform to help companies, both manufacturers and uh, retailers and distributors, manage their supply chains, so they actually can help control for. Um, any kind of issues that may occur and, and actually help um, whoever is doing the work on the ground make the right decisions. Is it a device? That- so they have actually a food, yeah, they have a testing device and a whole system. But I, I think actually the, the thing that will may have the biggest impact is, you know, right now a lot of this work is being done on clipboards. Uh, you would be just appalled at the sophistication of how people manage their records uh, and actually keep tabs on what's happening in plant. And I think, um, you know, part of the, part of what we did in the Obama administration was, um, pass the food safety modernization act, which is the biggest overhaul in food safety in modern times. Um, and part of what, what happens in that, uh, in that bill is to make sure that people are keeping records and having a much more thorough, uh, job of making sure that things are being done right. And so I think what sample six is going to, uh, do with their control platform is really help companies uh, do a far better job uh, and actually meet these new standards. So that's that's another one. And then we go all the way down to, um, uh, you know, the consumer. Um, 
one of the companies that we just love, we invested in Back to the Roots, which is a ready-to-grow and ready-to-eat company. So they have kits that show kids very simply how to grow tomatoes and mushrooms and all kinds of fun stuff to get them engaged in better eating. And then they're producing um, products that are simple, really healthy, and really good for kids. They have a cereal line that um, New York City schools, for example, just brought into their school system this year because it's just a fundamentally better cereal. And so we're, you know, we're not doing a ton of CPG. We're looking at, um, you know, kind of bigger platform plays for the most part, but, but that's also part of the solution. And so we know, uh, and, and we have a lot of experience there. So we know, uh, we know we'll continue to engage there to a certain extent. And can we talk about Juicero? Um, which is the <laughs> the juice? Sure. Sorry, I know you probably didn't want me to say that, but it's um, a juicing machine <laughs> no that has pouches. Um, it's a digitized juicing, and you, you receive a pouch, and that goes into the machine. It squeezes you a juice. But there was a recent yeah. um, exclusive or revealing news in in Bloomberg, which said that the pouches can be squeezed by hand, and so it's caused a bit of an uproar. What you know? What's what are you guys thinking at your end as investors in Juicero? Uh, yeah, you know. I- I think that, um, look, it's a company that's trying to make juice more accessible uh, for people. I think the uh, they are working very hard to bring the cost down significantly, um, and I, they have a sight line to do that. They already brought the cost down of the machine dramatically, and then they have a sight line to bring uh, the entire uh, sort of cost down, um, which I think is quite exciting. And I think they're just going to stay focused on trying to continue to produce a great product um, that's uh, valuable to consumers. And I think if they do, uh, you know, make it more accessible, that'll be a great benefit um, to uh, to anybody who wants to, you know, drink juice. And the more people are drinking that kind of juice and say less sugary beverages, I think the better off we're going to be. So they're just staying focused, trying not to get caught up in all the, you know, the media does like to, um, you know, uh, do their thing when it comes to those sort of, uh, you know, snarky, uh, you know, snarky little rounds of, of coverage. But it's, um, but I'd say the, you know, they're just staying focused on on, on the task at hand. Were Were you surprised that the packs could be squeezed by hand, or did you already know that? Um, I had not squeezed a pack by hand. I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that, uh, you know, the. Uh, you're not going to have a lot of people um, spending, you know, their mornings like wringing out pouches of vegetables. You know, I think I think what what every what everybody that nobody disputes that um, the quality of this product is uh, unparalleled. And I haven't talked to us, and I and I could vouch for that just in drinking it. Um, I haven't talked to a single person who doesn't say that just the quality is just through the roof. And it's, you know, for me, it's always been about uh, whether this becomes something that's accessible to, to many. And I think that's the, this company's challenge. I feel confident that they're, they're making, you know, huge strides in that. And we'll see what happens. Um, but, you know, uh, like I've spent a lot of, a lot of years uh, under the scrutiny of, 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 of the media. You can't, you can't worry about that stuff. You just got to keep doing your job. So I'd love to ask you a little bit about your background. And, and so you, you are a chef originally, and then obviously you took on some policy um, advisory in the Obama administration. And so how has the transition been from those two quite different roles to now being a, a venture capital investor? 
Uh, well, I'll tell you the the jump from being a chef to running food policy in the White House was a far bigger jump <laughs> than going from you know kind of working on how do you improve the food system to then figuring out where it, what's what are the right uh, areas to invest in because I think um, and and who are the right people to invest with I think um, you know part of what was amazing about that experience is that when you're actually tasked to solve the problem. And you have to look at it holistically. You have to understand all the various components of the system, where are the barriers, where are the opportunities. And and a lot of what we did, uh, the other piece of what I did was I ran the First Ladies Let's Move campaign. Um, a lot of that had to do with consumer engagement and kind of marketing and promotion, promoting, you know, what a better way of eating is. So that part, you know, I have a pretty deep understanding of. And as well as a lot of work with the business community. We, we negotiated and, and announced numerous partnerships um, to help you know, encourage and push and work with uh, companies to make big changes in their supply chain to provide better food. So, and then there's the policy side, which obviously you have to have a pretty deep insight on what's happening to shape good policy, which I think we did in, in many junctures. So, so, that understanding is actually, I think, serves me quite well in in being able to identify here are the areas that I think are the biggest opportunities for progress, and these are the kinds of changes or kinds of innovations that I think will be most effective. And you know, then you you know have a pretty good filter to analyze which of those which of the companies in the space you think are going to do the best job. So the jump actually has not felt that you know, that large coming in as a kid who read a bunch of books uh, on food policy and history of agriculture and that kind of stuff, but was a chef and then then taking on that kind of responsibility. That was a, that was a pretty big leap. And so you're, st- are you still based in, in Washington, DC? Uh, now I'm in New York and the rest of the, oh, in New York. yeah. And the rest of the partners are in LA. Yeah. Flipping back a little bit to something we talked about before, which was the consumption of meat. Um, and I'd just love to get your your take on um, some of these alternative meats which are coming down the pla- um, coming down the pipe. Um, there's sort of two different types, one where they're, they're replicating meat on a cellular level um, through culturing. And then there's the, um, the plant-based meats, where they're using plant proteins to recreate the taste and, and feel of meat. And um, I'm just intrigued on the last type, um, particularly from a nutritional standpoint. You know, there's not a huge amount we know about the process that's going in to create those. I mean, at the end of the day, they're sort of highly processed um, vegetables, I suppose, in a way. And I'm just wondering if you've thought about what the nutritional profile of those might be. Yeah. Um, you know, is it sometimes we wonder if it's going to be another margarine <laughs> 2.0 or something <laughs> where we don't really know. But I just have you got any thoughts on that? That's an interesting analogy. Well, look, uh, I, my sort of my top line uh, take on this space is that you know it's gonna it's gonna there, we need a lot of tools in our toolbox. I don't think. There's going to be one solution that solves all of these problems, and I'm I'm pretty open-minded when it comes to exploring different potential solutions. I do think, you know, that these technologies and innovations, and like this alternative meat, is is at its infancy, um, and so I'm I'm patient to give it time to see how it evolves. I will say that it absolutely ultimately should be judged by its nutritional content, and if it's not 
if it, if it, you know, kind of quote, can trick people out of eating wanting meat because it tastes like it looks like it smells like it. I see the potential, particularly on sustainability, the benefit there. And I, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited about that. But on the other hand, if it's not good for people, then, um, then we're missing half the equation. Right. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of keeping an eye on it and seeing how things evolve. Um, you know, I, 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 I wonder, um, how many people are ultimately going to, uh, you know, want to eat that product versus just eat vegetables. I think that's a question that the space will have to continue to grapple with. But I think these are people with, with really good intentions trying to solve, uh, uh, part of the problem. And, um, and so I think, you know, I think there's some merit there. Uh, so I'm sorry, let's see how this, I, let's see how it evolves and see where the products land. But in the end, like, processing in and of itself isn't a problem. It's a question of what the, what that process does to the food. Right. Um, and you know, and I think what's the end outcome and, and generally foods that are processed less are, you know, typically more nutritious for you than ones that have to take a lot of layers to add a ton of different additives to make it what it is. So, you know, Right. So I think that's a general rule. That's true. But I wouldn't say it's a fundamental principle uh, that's, that's never violated. It's not like a law of physics. So, you know, so it's something we've got to pay attention to. And I think it's something they got to solve for. Um, I care about nutrient dense foods that are sustainable for people and affordable. And so if that ends up landing in that space, I mean, they have some work to do. Then it's great. It's a great part of the great part of the solution. Oh, no, I don't doubt that it's um, well-intentioned. I just sometimes worry about it being kind of assumed that it's going to be automatically healthier than the meat alternative. I think that's totally right. I think that's 100% right. And, and like, look, well, you know, they're, I know they're trying to improve the nutritionals, but let's see how they do. And they should be held accountable for it. I mean, I think it, it's not enough to say congratulations you know, we we're you know, there's a few less cows out there. Uh, that's not that's not enough. Um, that's not enough. It's got to actually be nourishing for people. Right. And so before we finish off, are there any other um, technology types and innovation types, you know, across the supply chain that are really exciting you at the moment? Oh, my God. We don't we we don't have time to cover all of them. Yeah, there's so many. <laughs> uh, I guess the ones that really stand out for me. Um, and for us, you know, I think the gene editing space is probably the most transformational set of technology that uh, I'm seeing that I think will change everything we eat. I think there's a lot of big questions and a lot of big opportunities, but I think we will have the opportunity to take, uh, you know, so this isn't GMOs. This is manipulating the you know genome of any given plant, expressing or silencing genes that already exist in a plant and or an animal um, and our ability to, and, th- and this is where the question of um, what are these tools being used for really comes into play. So these tools have the ability to uh, efficiently and, and, co- and in a cost effective way, potentially dramatically increase the nutrient density of any given plant. So more fiber in wheat or more vitamin B calcium uh, in broccoli has the ability to dramatically reduce the need for water. It has the ability to reduce the need for pesticides or fertilizers. So I think um, huge potential benefit to the consumer. If we can figure out how to grow fruits and vegetables more efficiently, I think part of the 
the misnomer out there is that, you know, subsidies skew junk food, make it cheaper than healthier food. The reality is, is actually corn and soy has gotten hundreds of billions of dollars of research over the last 50 years. And it's significantly increased um, the yields of those crops, which is the foundation of, of those foods. Uh, for fruit and vegetables, we've invested almost no money in a relative basis into growing those crops more efficiently. So part of what we need to do to improve the diets of of the world is figure out how to grow <laughs> fruits and vegetables at a at a at a lower cost. Um, and and we have the ability, I think, here to do that and grow more nutrient dense food. So, but there's some big questions. Um, you know, first of all, people are sensitive to these kind of issues in their food. Um, right now, in the United States, there's absolutely no regulation. This technology is considered grass, meaning generally recognized as safe. Um, and that's a huge problem. Uh, although I'm sure many in the industry are excited about this fact, and government has been, in their in many of industries' minds, a real barrier to innovation uh, around GMOs. First of all, something can go wrong with this technology. Uh, you can can create allergens or toxins in how you manipulate any kind of plant genome. Number one. Now, number two, um, it's a very hard sell to to a public, a very skeptical and somewhat cynical public, that don't worry, like this is safe. Nobody, like nobody's looking at this, but don't worry, like it's going to be fine. Like that's not a very good communication talking point. Uh, and so I worry about, um, about that, but I could not be more excited about um, the potential there, but it's a conversation we need to start having a lot more about what are the implications of this, how, how we should be talking about this in the public, in the public domain, and what are we going to be innovating around. So that's one big one. I think the microbiome is something else that we're looking at deeply and are really excited about. I think the microbiome is going to transform how we understand health and nutrition when it comes to the human body and also when it comes to soil. I think there's some really fascinating emerging work on the biome of soil um, and that too holds tremendous potential uh, to improving the sustainability of agriculture. Um, I could keep going. I'd say those are two, my two biggest ones. Fantastic. Great. Well, thank you very much for touching on GMO. I was wondering whether it was the right time to be bringing that topic up. We could probably speak about that for another day. Um, but well, thank you so uh, much. Do it again. Yeah, we'll yeah, do it again. again. We'll do a GMO to... special. Yeah. Um, but there I think that education piece is, is very interesting and I think it is being addressed and we hear it talked about um, at various events, including the future food tech event and world agri tech events. Um, but yeah. thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. And um, I hope to see you at future food tech in a couple of weeks time. I really look forward to it. I'm a huge fan of your work. Uh, you put out some of the best stuff there is, and so it's been great to talk. You've been listening to AgFunder. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts to hear new episodes coming out every two weeks. And if you liked it, please leave a rating and a review, as this helps the show get found so we can keep having conversations that change the way the world sees agriculture. For more news on food, agriculture, startups and investors, go to agfundernews.com and you can also follow us on Twitter at agfunder. I'm Louisa Boa-Taylor. Thank you so much for listening.